This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the good folks that love stirring the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Palmer and a host of friends. We will be your guides today in a conversation around Deep South Dining. Today, we're taking a trip to Italy. We're going with Mississippi's very own Elaine Trigiani. After 20 years in Italy, Elaine has designed experience that bring Italian food, art, and culture to people from all over the world. We also welcome back Joe Sherman to talk about what he has gleaned from his years of friendship with Elaine, cooking and traveling. Today we're talking pasta, wine, olive oil, and how Elaine keeps her Mississippi roots even in her Italian kitchen. Well, good morning. It's Monday morning, and it's Deep South Dining on MPB Think it Radio. It is indeed, and we have our good buddies in the studio this morning, so it's going to be so much fun. We have an international cast. Yes, we, yes, we do. Yes, we, we have do. Joe Sherman, the Lebanese Flash. <laughs> breeze. Breeze. The Lebanese Breeze. I've gone from a breeze to a flash. <laughs> I don't know which one I like best. I know it. <laughs> and our good buddy, Elaine Trigiani, all the way from Tuscany. All hey, things happy Italy. To be here. All things Italy right yeah. here. So or as they say somewhere in Mississippi, Italy. 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 Okay. <laughs> yes, uh, someone came in my uh, Everyday Gourmet store one time and told me her son was in Rome, Italy, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> really? All of those three places? Yeah. Love Amazing. it. Amazing. <laughs> Geography, you know. Yes. Well, Carol, uh, it's been a fun weekend. It's been warm, but uh, it was a lot going on here uh, in uh, Mississippi. We had the Mississippi Book Festival this weekend at the Mississippi State Capitol, and I know you were out there, and I was out there, and and there were a lot of Java other people was out, out there. there. Was a lot I of saw people Java. Out there. Yeah, Java hey, was Java. working. Yeah, it was a good time. I was working. MPB does a great job of uh, helping out with the broadcast and uh, catching the podcast for Right on Mississippi. But it was a great time. Saw Carol at the Cookbook and Culture uh, panel that our good friend Enrico Williams hosted. And you did not look. To me, like you were working, you look like you were enjoying. Well, you know, when you when the things line up, you know, it's it's it's, it's great. <laughs> it, it was truly one of the best panels I've ever heard at the uh, at the book festival. And Enrico Williams, who we love, was was the moderator. And there were three African American cookbook authors in one place. And what made that so uh, so unique was the commonality of their experience. Yeah, you say the commonality, but I also enjoyed them having different paths as far as um, you had Erica Council, who kind of grew up in um, a, a, a restaurant family with her grandmother. Um, also, Mama Ed, Dip. Yeah, Mama Dip. Um, and, and Ryan kind of coming up under his father, but also, as most young men do, uh, not wanting to be a part of, you know, this mm-hmm. barbecue empire <laughs> that they have now. Yeah, Ryan is the son of Ed Mitchell and uh, 
Malcolm, I know you and I have experience, and Joe, Joe, you you too probably with Southern Foodways, the great Ed Mitchell from Wilson, North Carolina, East Carolina, and he and his son have written a cookbook. And I mean, they they've they've done the work, seen the people. Yeah, theirs is really a ministry of presence in barbecue. They they cover the territory. They just don't send product; they go. That's great. Well, it was a great weekend, and there were people from all over in in the city. Uh, it was a very robust uh, weekend for Jackson. There were events going on Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, just people everywhere. Uh, one of my great friends, Susie Serkimer, was in town. She's the executive director of Art of uh, South Arts, which is the nine state regional arts commission uh, based in Atlanta. And Susie was here. For the book festival, but also because they were handing out their South Arts uh, Visual Arts Prize uh, down on the coast at the Orr Museum. But anyway, Susie and her sister were in town, and so I, I got to hang out with them and had breakfast with her before she got out of town. She told me a great story. She said they went to the Mayflower for dinner on Saturday night after the book festival because it had been recommended. And she thought it was like a fancy restaurant. But when she got there, she realized that <laughs> it, was not. it was not a fancy restaurant. But uh, when they came in, uh, they saw someone with soft-shell crabs on their plate. And Susie said she was very curious about that and wondered about the soft-shells and went over and was sort of poking around, acting like she was doing something. But really, she was checking out these people's soft-shells. <laughs> And so they just invited her over to the table, and she said, are the soft-shell crabs good? And she said, oh, my God, they are so good. The fellow reached out, cut half of one off, and handed it to her. <laughs> Welcome hey, to Mississippi. That's, that's Mississippi. Welcome to Welcome Mississippi. To Mississippi. Yeah. That's right. And before we leave the book festival, Malcolm, I had to think about – you talked about the idea of a book festival for so many years. Well, yeah. And – you know, just to see thousands of people down there and your dream come true. And I know you and several others Holly uh, Lang. put together the first committee. Jerry Nash. Yep. John Evans. Peyton. Peyton Price. Many people who we know and associate with were on this idea early. And, um, we and had this f- was the ninth. Who knew? Yeah, I ninth mean, annual. Yeah, yeah great. But thank you. So uh, I got a text from a listener on uh, Sunday. You know, our show is live today, rebroadcast on Sunday, and then, of course, available for podcast thereafter. But I got a text from our friend David Cox, who's a listener, and he said, I just want to tell you how much I enjoy the show. But he said, regarding the woman who was sharing the chicken recipe, you remember we had the lady yeah, on from— don't put pepper, black pepper on your chicken. Right. Right. She's from the Apron Museum in Iuka, and she was sharing a fried chicken recipe, and it started off with kill the chicken, <laughs> let it sit for six to eight hours before cooking, right? So David said that he wanted to share his grandmother's fried chicken recipe, and this is how it goes. Find the 20-gauge shotgun. <laughs> Shoot off the head of the oldest hen or the loudest rooster. P.S. She usually did the shooting herself. So, David, we appreciate that. (laughs) You just never know. You just never know. Well, Joe, we're glad you're back. We haven't seen you in a while. What's been going on in your world since you were last with us? Well, just uh, chasing grandchildren, old grandchildren, Mm. as we just earlier discussed, Uh, spending a lot of time in the kitchen. Last night we had 
soul food, as we call, I call it. We had pot roast, uh, field peas, corn, and uh, we call it Mama Ruby's rice. My mother was named Ruby, and my grandson, I mean my son, uh, my grandson, the oldest of, of her great-grandchildren, nicknamed her Mama Ruby. And basically it's the way every Lebanese person I know in the world cooks rice. A st- half a stick of butter, five pieces of vermicelli broken into about three pieces each. When the vermicelli begins to brown, throw in the rice. After the rice starts to glisten, throw in twice as much water, put it on a loaf, and go get it in 20 minutes. And it's and delicious. Sounds like a Lebanese rice pilaf. Yep, that's exactly right. I could, somebody said, what's that, what's that macaroni in there? I said, our version of rice-a-roni. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol, you remember the great uh, pot roast cook-off that we hosted at your house many years ago. I do, indeed. And I cooked Robert St. John's pot roast. And you cooked one that you called The Lord is My Shepherd Sunday Pot Roast <laughs> right. and told the story about, you know, you put it on before church. Your family in Wiggins would mm-hmm. put it on uh, before church. and Come back and have yeah, that. Hope that I have that story somewhere because <clears throat> it, it was really good. You, you wrote about it. And I learned something from you that night. Um, you actually took the vegetables out of the pot roast after you cooked it and put all the vegetables in a blender and then added it back to the to thicken the pot roast to make the gravy liquid wow. to make yeah. to make the vegetable gravy vegetable slash beef yes. gravy you, yeah. you, you see that I do yeah, you pay do attention that. I do pay <laughs> yeah. attention to what the, you do the funny thing about the roast that Mary Pryor cooks is a chuck roast and my mother taught her how to make it but then my aunt my mother's older sister Refine the process, and that's the one we use. Sorry, mm. mom. Well, my version of that would be also buco. Oh, oh. Love buco. which my good friend Piero, the oh, Tuscan. Oh, Piero, I remember him well. Yes, um, he's no longer with us. We all we love Piero. He would put on the also buco on a Sunday morning, and then head out to make the rounds, and it was ready at lunchtime for whoever happened to stop love. by. And how did he season, and can, do you remember the process of cooking the he was, he Yes. He was a very simple chef, but everything was just absolutely perfect because he started with really good ingredients, most of which he had grown himself. Not the meat, but all the vegetables. So he did what they call a sofrito, which is chop up really fine um, carrots, onions, celery, and a little bit of parsley. And that goes in. But you see, he chopped it up first as opposed mm-hmm. to putting it in the blender mm-hmm. later. And then put that in the pan with some olive oil. Um, when they started to get a little translucent, added the meat, put a little bit of broth in, covered it, and came back in about four hours. And it was just nut brown colored. Mm-hmm. And all of the yummy... Instead of gravy, all those yummy pan drippings went onto a little piece of toast. Ah. Crostino next to your. Now that's veal shanks. That veal yes. shanks. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love it. Yeah. So there you have it. We uh, stumbled onto roast beef Italian style. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now the meat has bone. Has a bone in it. It does have mm-hmm. a bone in uh-huh. it. With Much marrow, like by the, the way. Like with marrow, right? I was exactly. going to say. So you get all that going on. It's kind right. of like a short rib, but not. Mm-hmm. You know. We're great. So, Elaine, we're so glad that you're here. You're back visiting home. Happy to be here. You only come a time or two a year. Usually twice, yeah. Yeah. Elaine is uh, back visiting Mississippi. Uh, She's been away for 20 years now, living and working and being creative in Italy. And uh, I've had the great pleasure, as Joe Sherman has as well, to visit Elaine and to meet her friends like Piero 
uh, to eat the food which she has now adopted, I guess, as her second cuisine. I would maybe Mississippi's your first cuisine and Italy uh, now second. And you've been able to share that with lots and lots and lots of people because of your career choices. Uh, when you were in uh, America, you worked in D.C. at the National Gallery of Art. Uh, but you, there was another calling, and you had always wanted to go to your homeland, to, to Italy, to live and work, and you have. I have. I really believe that, obviously, art is a great expression of the culture of a place, but clearly food is, too. And I think here at Deep South Dining, we know that. Um, and I've had the great pleasure of um, sharing Italian food culture with um, lots of folks from Mississippi and from the South and from the United States who are coming over. Uh, to do food tours and uh, take cooking classes and go visit uh, you know, food producers and talk to them about how they, how they work and why, the, why they work the way they do. So that's been a lot of fun. And we share that, too, on um, some online classes where we get together and um, pick different, uh, different regions of Italy, different even small towns of Italy. Um, the food culture is so different as you move around, so we... We make virtual visits to Italy and talk about uh, different different food traditions as you move around. Yes, yeah, so let's go ahead and tell people how they can connect to you um, on the internet and to attend the classes, or maybe to book a tour, or maybe uh, to buy some of your olive oil. This whole you know you, you're not here, but you are here. Exactly, <clears throat> we're ever present because of the internet. Thanks to the internet, I have a website, elainetrigiani.com, which also has a link to my olive oil website, Olio della Donna. And if you get on our mailing list, you can take a look at um, offerings on the website. Send a message for anything you're interested in, and then get on the mailing list, and we'll keep you informed about um, goings on in the olive oil world, harvest reports, when when new oils available recipes and also online classes and trips we've been doing also um i do this together with some of my friends a chef uh, called um, celia cerazoli from charleston south carolina and a friend of mine who is uh my friend lorenzo who's um he's actually a tripe chef a lampredotto <laughs> chef in uh in in florence and so we have been we've, we've put these trips together so you can actually join a group trip and there's all sorts of information on my website elainetrigioni.com um, so check that out and let me know if you're interested come along with us we have fun that's great and you take small groups you don't do there, the big no big very group. small groups we are 12 people max right so yeah very small groups hands on kind of a personalized experience and right now we're exploring Tuscany Sicily and Puglia and we'll be adding to that I'm hoping to add for example Emilia Romagna to the list land of Parmesan cheese oh, for yes. example well, if you've never if you've never taken a uh, trip with uh, Elaine in Italy, you don't know what you're missing. As you've probably heard me say before, when we started working with her, I said, "She said, what do you want?" I said, "I want to see your butcher, your baker, and your candlestick maker." <laughs> well, I saw everybody but the candlestick maker, but we were going to get we were going to get close. But I met uh, Elaine in August 2003, so actually 20 years ago at a wine taste at a olive oil tasting at Bravo. Three ingredients, cooking with three ingredients. And 20 years later, there was an olive oil tasting at Bravo, sponsored by Elaine. So uh, we've been full circle. And for those of you that have never done, taken one of our online classes in art history through the, uh, through the t- tour of Italy, uh, 
it saved many of people's sanity during 2020. <laughs> every did, Saturday, every Saturday, and you learned how to cook a lots of great things. I have some. I just showed her some pictures of some of the recipes that that Mary Pryor and I made, and uh, the porchetta was absolutely my was fabulous and uh, make it to this day. So thank you, Elaine. Thanks for being a faithful member of our group. We have, we have a great, yeah, we have a great online group. Yeah, I've been group. to both Sicily and Tuscany. Well, with I haven't been Elaine, to Sicily, and and Sicily is well go. worth worth the trip. Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting place to explore. It is. Well, and so our listeners, if they want to join in, they can just go to your site and explore those possibilities. And uh, you mentioned the Parmesan cheese. Uh, uh, location, I guess that's where Parmesan is. Parm- Parmigiano comes from Parma. Parma, mm-hmm. and that's or the area around Parma. Gotcha. And Carol, we were we had seen something alarming on the internet, and I shared it with you. One of those crazy stories, those food stories. It, it's, uh, you know, I feel bad doing this, but but it was the New York Post that wrote about it the best. That said, a seventy-year-old, seventy-four-year-old farmer got creamed. Dairy mm-hmm. farmer. Yes, got dairy creamed. got, cr- <laughs> got creamed uh, by his cheese. I mean, he died from his wheels of cheese falling upon him. Oh, Each wheel weighs 88 pounds. They're amazing. It's amazing to see them make these enormous wheels of cheese. And then and they're, they're stacked in, you know, rows and rows and rows, floor thousands. Floor-to-ceiling rows of extremely heavy wheels of cheese that have to be maneuvered relatively often, flipped and rinsed and dusted and wow. moved around. So. And that's done, I would imagine, with a forklift or some sort they have, of they gizmo? Tend, they have gizmos to get all the way up there, right? right. Yeah, little forklifts. And Carol, we saw this story about the counterfeiting. Yes, uh, it's a crisis, Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> it is share. a cri- yeah. Well, there's um, there are two point five billion dollars worth of counterfeit Parmesan uh, is on the market every year, and much of the Parmesan we get is not really Parmesan cheese. It's Parmesan like or or something else, but it, it's not the the official. I'll let Elaine talk what about do we, what, what, what do we look for, expert. Well, you need to look for first of all. I recommend buying actual a piece of cheese and not already grated cheese because once you grate it, it, it loses its charm. Um, and the longer it sits there grated, the less charm it has. So look for a whole piece of cheese, and it's got a very distinctive marking on the rind and the parmesan parmigiano reggiano association has devised this very specific um almost like branding on the exterior of their cheeses and it serves two purposes one is to um really distinguish the cheese from counterfeits and the other is absolute total traceability in each each piece of cheese has a kind of a brand on it, a marking on it that will take you back to literally the cows and what they were eating and on what day they were eating it. So um, they, they do that. The, the sort of the branding serves two purposes. And one reason to really stick with the, the actual Parmigiano Reggiano is because of that quality control and also just the level of quality that is imposed on all of the dairy farmers and cheesemakers who participate in the consortium. And this has been going on since the medieval period. Boccaccio wrote about Parmesan cheese. Italy, as I was saying before, is extremely regional in the way they eat. And each, you know, each town sort of has its, its 
its own particular recipes, its own particular productions, their own special cheese. And Parmesan, um, Parmigiano, literally crosses all borders. Everybody who has their own regional mm. cheese, they also have a piece of Parmigiano in the fridge. And it's just so special. And it's so special because it is a real reflection of um, terroir. It's the certain types of cows are eating certain types of grass in a very specific location. And the milk then has, you know, properties that really reflect that. So you get these very rich and almost creamy aged cheeses that have those little crystals, you know, that you Mm -hmm. kind of crunch down Mm -hmm. on when you bite into it. So good. So the cheeses are usually aged uh, at least 12 months up to 24, 36 months. And sometimes, you know, you find special pieces that have been aged, you know, sort of 60 months. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to have a, you can do a vertical tasting and taste all of the. um, We did that. Mm-hmm. We, did. Yeah. we did. We sure did. So, Carol and Joe, where are the best places to find the real McCoy, the uh, the charming cheese in, <laughs> well, in Mississippi? Uh, in Jackson, that would be Fresh Market and Whole, Whole Foods. Foods. I'm, I'm not sure of other places or other places in the state, but you can, in fact, order it. And um, Elaine, when John and I married last year, your father actually sent us from Italy big, big hunks of, of Parmesan. That's a nice wedding uh, present. It is a yes. nice wedding. It was a nice wedding present, 12 months, 36 months, mm-hmm. and 40-something months. You know, just you know, big pieces of cheese. And since since he did that, I have sent that. Uh, I sent it as a wedding present to David Carey, who's head of mm-hmm. Ballet Mississippi, right. and Kristen Williams, who uh, his his bride and great cooks on cooking and coping. And I, I just thought it was a lovely gift. And Joe, you and I sent some to, to Tim Pierce, to to Tim Pierce in that's Memphis, right. who sure was did. who was our host. host. And I think that's a year. way for a food person to say, "I love you, I appreciate <laughs> you, and I like what you do in the kitchen." And how long does uh, the Parmesan, ha- you know, keep? It, it, does it hold up for months, years? How long? It holds up. After you open a form, it will hold up for months. Mm, for a month. I don't know about years. Although the harder it gets, then you can just start grating it as opposed uh-huh. to eating it. You can always grate it. But usually if you have a really hard piece of cheese laying around, then it turns into your grating cheese. And as long as you have the force to grate it, it's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. You know, in Italy, they even accept the wheels of Parmesan as collateral at the banks. <laughs> they do. And then yeah. there are some banks. What's the value vaults. of a wheel, uh, would you say? I'm not sure. They must, they must have a short, I think, an appraisal uh, outfit that does that. It's, uh, <laughs> about a, uh, $1,000 per a wheel. wheel. No, wheel oh, my gosh. Wow. They do, yeah. that. they do that with wine as well. Um, any, any kind of you know, agricultural product that has that aging period, uh-huh. um, the banks, actually, I just got a new bank account and they were explaining this to me. It doesn't count with olive oil because you don't let your olive oil age. But if you have a cellar full of something like Parmesan cheese wheels or barrels of wine, you can, they actually do hmm. accept it as Do they do the same thing with uh, balsamic vinegar? I'm sure. I'm sure they do. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> and there, there's a bank, it's known locally as Credeem, C-R-E-D-E-M, Elaine, it holds 430,000 wheels of Parmigiano, <laughs> Reggiano in its vault. 430,000. <laughs> this stuff is... That, that bank it, is smelling good. Yeah. <laughs> it's valued, and it's wonderful to know that Italy really values their food product. And you were talking about the markings and, you know, DOP for mm-hmm. for the cheese 
is DOC for the wines, mm-hmm. and some of these designations, like for the Parmesan, are 150, 200 years old. They're not new. They're, they're not new, and the fact that they're actually writing it down on paper is relatively new, but that was that was basically just codifying something that was already in common practice. So the reason that Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, I said Parma, but it's actually Parma and Reggio. So there are two towns up there near Modena, near Bologna, Parma and Reggio, and it's the agricultural land around those two cities where the cheese... Um, the certified, um, you know, bona fide Parmigiano-Reggiano comes from. But the reason that they wrote that down is because that's just what they've been doing for centuries. And they know that that's where the good cheese comes from. So they kind of figured out, you know, what that exact zone is, that production zone, drew a line around it and organized themselves as a consortium to maintain quality control, like we said, but also to promote their products. Interesting. Uh, Speak to we were yeah before the show we were talking about the man that got killed by the wheels of cheese and his cheese was Grana Padano. Speak to that. Grana Padana is a type. It is a it's a type of cheese that is made in a similar fashion to Parmigiano Reggiano, but it's actually not within that production zone that is considered sort of tip top. It's um, it's still a very good cheese, but it's you know maybe can't be aged quite to the limit that Parmigiano can. The the milk that comes from the cows that are um, on pasture there in that different production zone, which is kind of a, a bigger ring around. Uh, uh, around the edges of that tight zone at Parma and Reggio is just of a slightly different quality. So it's known as, um, it's kind of known as a slightly te- cheaper sort of Parmesan cheese, but it's marked as Grana Padana. So it's its own thing, and that's good. It's not a, it's not a fake. It is so, what it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about Pecorino? So Pecorino is a kind of a catch-all term. It's that pe- Pecora is the word for sheep. So Pecorino is, um, in this case, cheese that's made out of sheep milk. And that can be many different things. And there's one that's on the market here, which is Pecorino Romano, which has that distinctive black rind mm-hmm. um, that is easily, um, easily recognized and easy to find. But there's lots of other kinds of Pecorino. And it can be anything from a hard grating cheese that's really pungent and strong to a fresh, almost brie-like cheese that's kind of goopy. Um, and they're all they're great, but that really is more of a catch-all term than For than like part, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, you know, I know in the recipe we've been reading a lot uh, in cooking and coping. People have been doing cacio e pepe, mm-hmm. and it calls for. You know, so well, cacio e pepe, that, that actually means cheese and pe- pepper, black pepper, and it's a Roman recipe. So the pe- pecorino that they use is Roman, and sometimes people will mix a little Parmesan in there, Parmigiano, and I don't want to start any kind of like polemic or anything. So I'm not, people from Rome may not do that, yeah, but well, I have seen it done. We have a lot of listeners in Rome, yeah, so be are. very careful. <laughs> They're lighting up the phone. That's right. Well, we are having a big time here on this Monday morning. Carol, how are you Mal? today? So good to see you. I, I only see you now mostly on Mondays. And someone said on Facebook the other day that our show just makes Mondays better. And it does. Makes us better anyway. I know. So Last we week you other. saw me on Monday and Tuesday because we had breakfast at Elvie's. Breakfast at Elvie's. And then a meeting. So we're, you know, we we're just all over the place. Joe, it's good to have you back. Well, it's great we to be here. We appreciate your association with our show well, because often Carol or I are away. And we, we, everybody needs we, a vacation. We pull yeah. in the Lebanese breeze. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate Carol, it. Carol, it's great to have I mean, Carol. Elaine, it's great to have you back. And I said we were going to talk a little bit about cooking the Tuscan way. And uh, 
I always think of it as the three ingredient rule or whatever, but you shared this with me many years ago, and I think it's very relatable to keeping it simple. That is true. The three ingredient rule confounded me when I first landed in Tuscany, but um, I thought, oh, these people, they're, they're so simple. But <laughs> they are so simple in a good way, and the key is that they're um, really, they search out really good quality ingredients, which only need to be exalted by a very few um, additions, like olive oil or salt or fennel flowers or a piece of sage, you know, very, very elemental, I guess, but kind of fundamental. So the idea really is exalting flavors more than creating, um, you know, really involved, elaborate flavors. That's kind of the the Tuscan way. So, and then a similarity that I was thinking about as y'all were talking about some of your uh, pot roast experiences and whatnot is this idea of creating meals for your family and for people. And that's really um, a similarity, I think, between um, us in the South and then Italians in general, really, of how they think about eating, which is the point is to share it at a table with your friends and family. And that's really just as important as the food that's on the plate. Hmm. Yeah, I think we share that for for certain. Mm -hmm. But are there uh, items, say, I'm just going to guess, greens or okra or something that when you're when you're in Italy you, th- you that they sort of remind you of home mustard greens was the first that really hit me and they don't you don't find those all over the place but you find them in the south particularly in Sicily and um that was the first time I saw something so particular that, you know, maybe I was missing. And then there it was. I was so happy about that. And okra now is starting to be a little bit more widely available thanks to some of the um, immigrants who are coming up from Africa and bringing, as they brought okra to uh, the United States, bringing okra also into um, into Italy. And it's, it's kind of fun because I love it. And the Italians are like, what the heck do you do this? And then they try it and they cut it open. And they go, ooh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. That's what it is. <laughs> it is great. Use it to your advantage, actually. <laughs> so. Don't fear the slime. Right. Uh, the the right. mucilage, as mucilage. we learned from the uh, okra cookbook author. Correct. You're absolutely right. What an Who awful knew? word. What <laughs> is mucilage? Let's just go with slime. Uh, yeah. slime. Slime is more uh, familiar and understandable. To the massive. Yeah. So, Elaine, let's talk about your olive oil em- empire and, and <laughs> how you tell us about your business, how you got into this, and you became certified as a tester, and now you're, a, I guess, a grower and a producer of said olive oil. I am. Yeah, I've really, oddly enough, fell in love with the olive oil kind of 25 years ago uh, on a first trip to Sicily. And it was just a revelation to me because I had never actually tasted real good olive oil uh, because the products that were coming into the United States at the time were relatively inferior. Um, And olive oil is really a, I mean, it's just an important um, tool in the kitchen. You know, for centuries, it's been a source of calories as well as a source of light, for example, for people's oil lamps. Think about the Romans. They had, you know, that was their source of, of light. Um, used also in religious rituals. So olive oil has been this extremely important um, product for centuries, and the more the better. Um, now, though, since we don't need it for certain things such as oil lamps, we can actually um, 
consider cutting quantity in favor of quality, which is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we're making um, not huge amounts, but we're making extremely good olive oil. And I am um, a producer now, and I have been for about three years, and I just started my own label last year. And it's not an empire yet. <laughs> it's, it's more of a speck in the universe, <laughs> but we're getting there. I've, um, I'm actually leasing groves in Tuscany, um, and I am uh, working with farmers down in Sicily. So I make two different olive oils, and I live in Tuscany, so I can actually follow the groves there. Um, although I have to say I had this trip planned to come and visit family and have some meetings on the olive oil front. Um, and I think, you know, I'm kind of a rookie here on the farming, so um, I won't be coming in this period, I don't think, next year, because there's stuff that needs to be done. Uh-oh. But I have some great people I work with, and they send me, they send me pictures. <laughs> a, a picture um, saying you should be here. <laughs> no, they're, sending me, no they're, they're, being, they're being very nice. They're like, we can take care of that. Do not worry one bit. Here's what we did. Click, and they, they, uh, they WhatsApp me some photos of the, the olive trees in the field. So that's nice to know they're, they're being looked after very well. You had the three of us ordered the that's olive right. oil uh, last year, and it was just fantastic. I'm I'm very proud of it. Very good. I, I really am proud of it. We're we're almost out. Uh, we've we've blown through the, care of the Tuscan, yeah. and now we're working our way to the very end of the the Sicily oil. There's and, more. Uh, it's funny. Karen and I were talking about it the other day, and I said, you know, I think. I like the Tuscan oil. She says, I like the Sicily oil. That's good. That's good. It's good. Well, they're actually, they're both very different, and you can use them on they're different very things. very different, yes. I was, I met, I, was, um, I was meeting with some folks down on the coast, and they pulled out the bottle of olive oil, and somebody came in and said, oh, well, tonight we're cooking Brussels sprouts and some eggplant. I said, well, the Tuscan oil goes really good on the Brussels sprouts, and the Sicilian oil goes really good on the eggplant. And this girl goes, oh, my gosh, I better write that down. I'm like, no, you don't even need to write it down because it's kind of instinctive. Once you taste it, once you kind of play with food matches, then it just comes to you. You know right. what to use where. I hey. saved the placemat from the, oh, uh, from the, from the tasting. <laughs> we, so know. We've got a listener who, exactly. has, who has texted a question for you, Elaine. Okay. Ron, who's listening, wants to know why America ended up with Southern Italian cuisine and not as much of the Northern Italian cuisine. The Italians who immigrated into the United States were mostly, not all, but they were mostly from the South. And there were pockets from the north. In fact, my um, family, half of my family is from the south in Puglia and Sicily, and the other half is from the Veneto, which is way up north. So you definitely have both um, northern regions and southern regions. But the overwhelming majority of immigrants out of Italy into the United States were from the south. And that's because the poverty down there was most, – most immigrants left for reasons of poverty, even mm. the ones from the north. But um, the situation in the south had reached really the point of desperation. And so those guys, you know, to have a better life came to the land of promise, <laughs> the American dream. Well, you know, in Mississippi, we have many, many Sicilian families and, you know, from the Cefalu area, Mm -hmm. mostly. And uh, there were actually posters, recruiting posters, recruiting people to come to the Mississippi Delta at that Um, time. Mm -hmm. All right. We've got Jesse on the phone calling from Mobile, Alabama. We appreciate you listening and giving us a call. What's up, Jesse? It's National Spumoni Day, so I didn't know if your guest had any insight into that dish. Well, I would think the answer is maybe. <laughs> she says she's not a Spumoni expert. I am not a Spumoni expert. That is 
Um, that's one of those foods that it's known here because it came from the south of Italy, as we were just talking about. And um, it's very particular to the area around Naples. And yeah. it is a type of... Napoli. Napoli. <laughs> it's a type of kind of hard slicing gelato. And where I live in the central part of the country, it does not exist. So it's not something that I'm super familiar with. I've never seen anybody actually make it. But it's interesting. Even the gelato, when you go from one town to another, completely changes form and color and flavor. Well, you know, Joe, down in New Orleans, there were these Spumoni shops when I lived down there. I don't know if they still exist, but uh, there were two or three of them in the French Quarter. And you would go and you get this tricolored Ice cream right. stuff. Right. I guess the colors of the Italian flag. It's a slice. Yeah. Well, there, it's interesting. There's, um, I saw this in Sicily, and it's called gelato di campagna, countryside gelato. And it looks like spumoni, but it's not because it's not, it's not actually a gelato. It's from places that were sort of, you know, these little tiny, poor little villages that didn't have a, a you know, they didn't have an ice cream shop. They didn't mm-hmm. have a gelateria. So um, the, the home cooks would make kind of a, almost like a, Kind of a, you know, I don't know, a blondie kind of a thing that looks kind of like spumoni, using like, you know, dried fruits and stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's your gelato di campagna. But, but the gelato where you live is ever present, right? It is, it is ever present. Yeah. They even have little gelato festivals. And, had, um, yeah, it's enjoyed by all. We had mm-hmm. some in uh, San Gimignano, San Gimignano, and we had some in, uh, in Florence mm-hmm. the first trip we went mm-hmm. along with you. Uh, but I'm, I'm not an expert. I just know whether I like it or I don't, and I couldn't probably tell you the difference. <laughs> well, it's interesting. There are some people who um, – I have a good friend who is a gelatio, a gelato maker, and um, they're very careful. The people who are making the super high-quality um, products are – the super high-quality gelatos are really careful about all of their ingredients. You know, they're out driving around all over Italy getting, you know, fresh fruit from wherever when it's in season or, you know, getting pistachios from Mount Etna, that kind of thing. And they are really good at um, – using the ingredients to make an emulsion. So, for example, you know, an almond gelato, they actually use the almond, they kind of use the almond oil to make the, uh, the emulsion really? for there, to make it uh, creamy. Huh. Well, Jesse, that's sort of what we know. What do you know about Spumoni? Well, I do a calendar at work, so it popped up today, and I'm like, okay, well, let's see what that's all about. <laughs> and then you happen to have an Italian guest on, so it's like, okay. Well, well we appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate you listening and calling. We, we, we're always happy to hear from you. And you stumped us, sort of. You know, we like that. So we'll go around and we'll dig up some info and maybe report back at the next show. Very good. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks. So, Elaine, we were talking about your olive uh, growing and producing. Uh, and, and your oil is available in some places, not only – to order over the internet, but in some shops out at the Flora Butcher, right? Yes, you can find it at Flora Butcher. You can find it online at oleo2go.com. That's oleo with the number two, oleo2go. And a shop in California called the Rare Wine Company. So those are my importers of the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, We're hoping to um, increase our visibility um, on the um, shelves in shops. In fact, I've visited a couple of shops um, 
in the area. In fact, thank you to Deep South Dining listeners. I actually had appointments at a couple of shops recommended by folks from Deep South Dining. So if you have a favorite um, gourmet shop where you live and you want to find our super high quality Tuscan and Sicilian olive oil, send me an email and I will contact them. It's, the olive oil is great. Makes what? Well, it's, it's great, first yeah. of all, but it makes wonderful Christmas gifts. People of just absolutely it. loved it. We gave it last year, and some of them didn't even want to open it because of the artwork on the on the label. Well, and I've had people tell me that even after it's done, they keep the bottle on the shelf because it makes them happy. That's right. So we, have the, we, ours, have, <laughs> we have more than one. I've, I've got um, – our Tuscan oil has a uh, – the – Label image is a painting by an artist called Rita Pedula, and it's a beautiful, just kind of a graphic um, line drawing, really, of a female figure with a an olive branch as her spine, and a very simple, delicate image. And then the Sicilian oil, um, we're very lucky to ha- um, have an image by Andrew Bucci, a uh, Mississippi artist, on the cover, and it's a watercolor of a sun, so it's this really bright, sunny image, and they make a nice presentation. So. Rita's her neighbor. Yes. In uh, Tuscany, and uh, we purchased a painting from Rita, mm-hmm. and it's a whirling dervish, and we went to have it uh, framed, and they framed it upside down because they thought it was a flower. <laughs> oh, no. So we, so we had to have it reframed. You know, I had <laughs> framing problems with my Rita. You did? Don't you remember where she signed it on the side? That Rita. Had, I don't Rita. know. Yeah, Rita. She's unorthodox. Rita is unorthodox, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> How much fun was it, Elaine, to merge your art History work, your love of art with your olive oil, when you got to pick out your own label art. Oh well, I I just knew that's what I wanted to do, and for the labels, and really the, it was a lot of fun. In fact, the the Rita painting of the the female figure with the olive branch as her spine. I, as soon as I saw that painting, I said, "Well, that's mm-hmm. going to be you know, that's going to be the logo of my olive oil company one day." Mm-hmm. And so I, that that came that was, I had that in mind before I even had the company. So um, that was that was you know really. Um, kind of important, kind of fundamental to the founding of the company. And then the, I was looking for an image for the Sicilian oil and literally scrolling through Instagram as one does. And up came that image. And um, I immediately got in touch with the Andrew Bucci Foundation. And um, luckily, they were excited about the idea and have become friends, too. So great folks over there at, at Andrew Bucci. So let's talk about uh, terminology. What what does extra virgin mean? And I know that's sort of a hang up for some people. Extra virgin is a term that means that the oil was produced mechanically. So if you think about orange juice and fresh squeezed orange juice, so the difference between actually squeezing your orange juice <laughs> or, and I suppose you would never do this with oranges, but it happens with olives, sending the fruit into a chemical refinery and using chemicals to strain out every little bit of something that tastes like orange. Um, so extra virgin olive oil is something that's mechanical. It's actually fresh squeezed fruit juice. And then um, it refers to the quality of that product after it's taken from the olive. So olive oil exists in the olive already. It's not uh, a transformation of any sort. Um but it's a fat, so it can, in fact, you, you can mess it up real easy. So 
everything we do is to maintain the um, good characteristics of the olive oil and keep the olive oil healthy. You don't want it to oxidize. Mm-hmm. Um, so extra virgin refers to the fact that oxidation has not started. And there's a series of um, you know, lab analyses that are done in order to confirm that. So that's what extra virgin actually means. But um, And that is important. You want it to say extra virgin. But you also... Um, there are plenty of oils that used to be extra virgin, but by the time you get them, they're really not anymore. But you'd have no way of knowing that unless you taste it ahead of time. And there are plenty of olive oils that maybe say they're extra virgin, but maybe they're kind of not. Um, so I do always recommend getting extra virgin olive oils. But what you really want to look for is um, something that's been made you know, by a person on a farm. And that's kind of your guarantee for getting um, a really good uh, good quality, genuine olive oil that still has all of its good flavors and health characteristics. In our final time that we have here, would you talk a little bit about the care and maintenance of your oil? It's really important. I mean, you can spend a fortune on good oil and ruin it pretty quickly, right? You can. So so can the shop where you buy it. So um, keep an eye out for how they're treating the oil. Most people who carry high-quality products know what they're doing with it. For example, at Flora Butcher, they have a lot of uh, window And I almost said to them, can you please put this on a shelf that's not getting direct sunlight? And then I noticed where they have all their olive oils. And, of course, they know that. They're down low on a shelf that's not getting direct sunlight. Um, And that's important. So um, oil needs to be kept away from air, heat, and light. So um, we bottle in um, UV-filtered bottles but still don't put it in the window. Um, when you're not actually using it, keep it someplace cool. If you happen to have a wine cooler, that's that's a good place for it. The fridge is too cold, so too hot is not good. Too cold is not good, and going up and down a lot is not really good for the quality of the oil. So it needs to be someplace cool, even um, the bottom shelf of your pantry and not the middle or top shelf of your pantry. And then once you open a bottle of oil, don't use it as if it were drops of perfume because once you open it you're letting oxygen into the bottle and as the level goes down that's even more oxygen exposure and the more oxygen exposure that the oil gets the faster it's gonna you're gonna use up its its shelf life so once you open it use it and what is the shelf life of say one of your oils from the day you open it if you take care from the well, if, from the time that it's made, it will. If it's stored properly, it will last for for quite a few years, actually. Um, and it's actually kind of nice to, if you think about that, compare vintages as with wine because each year is different. It's an agricultural product, so you'll notice um, subtle differences one year from one year to the next. And then once you open the oil, um, it will be good for, I guess, a couple of months. Frankly, I use mine faster than that. And so I I should do a taste test and try to figure that out. Uh, But it will be good for a couple of months. But don't, you know, don't just use two drops on your salad and come back to it six months later and use two more drops on your salad. I I tend to sometimes when I have something I like a lot, I tend to want to, you know, not use it up right away. But you actually need to go ahead and use it because a year later it's not going to be as good as it was. That's a good tip, yeah, Joe. It is a good tip. We like to use ours a lot. Good. Right. Well, it's we so like good. That. I you, mean, it really is. You I just want to just put it on everything. Well, right. it enhances flavors. I mean, honestly, right. it, it pumps up flavors kind of the way salt does. So, And um, it's also good for you, so go for it. All yeah, right. and it's, I guess it's often used as a finishing product. Often. But um, it's, off, it's used in cooking. In Italy, anyway, it's used in cooking and as sort of a condiment to finish a dish as well. Right. Or even just on top of something, like your takeout pizza. It there matter. you go. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. So how long are you home, and when do you return? 
Well, I have, I'm here for about two weeks total. Um, I was gone for a couple of days, so I don't have as much Jackson time as usual. But um, I'm here through Thursday. I fly back out on Friday morning, so right. trying to make the most of it. I'm eating some lady peas, and I'm trying to track down <laughs> some corn. And they have been out, and I'm really upset about that. But as soon as, as, soon as we say goodbye here, I'm off to find some corn. Okay. <laughs> if anybody knows where Elaine can find some, Let are you looking know. for a certain kind of corn? Well, if, if, I don't know, is Silver Queen still in season? I, I missed it. I don't it. think so. I don't think <laughs> well, so. At this point, any corn will do. Just good fresh corn. Good fresh corn. Okay. okay. If you're looking for a gift, or if you want to swap olive oil for corn, I think <laughs> exactly. we can. We know where to I think go. We can cut barter. a deal here. Once again, before we go, Elaine, tell people where to find you if they're interested in going to Italy with you, or buying your oil, or. Or Come just visit. You can go to elainetrigiani.com, and I think Java's going to put that on the MPB website under the link for this show. Mighty good. It's well, a thanks a lot. Trip. Joe, thanks for coming. Thank you for and having me. Elaine, always, it, as a always pleasure and a joy. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you, and we thank you. Our show is produced by the one and only, the magnificent Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Palmer, special guest Elaine Trigiani, and Joe Sherman, I am Malcolm White, and we appreciate you listening. Stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking. It's got Rick Cleveland and uh, Neil White on. Great show. Southern Remedy comes on at 11, so please join us every Monday and every Sunday for more Deep South Dining, heard right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.